Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're sure glad you're with us this morning. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour here on WPSL. We'll, we'll be on until 10 o'clock Eastern Time. This is We Are Just Christians and my name is Mike Schmidt. As you heard, with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine. We're the elders of the Church of Christ on Sabona Boulevard and I do most of the preaching as the preacher here. But in any event, we bring you this show each week to introduce the idea of being just a Christian to this area and perhaps to you of getting past denominationalism or human ideas whether it's secular or religious and being just a Christian being content with that and, and so we base our teaching attempt to base our teaching on what the New Testament says for the church to do and what it says for you to do as an individual so when you call in, then you can. we're going to give you answers to questions, and they're going to usually involve scriptures for you to read. Now, today's show is a taped broadcast because I have to be out of town this week, and so we have a tape show, recorded show, so we're not going to be taking calls. I'm not even going to give you the numbers, but I will give you the text numbers to reach the show and the email so you can contact us, and we'll have to respond to those later, but... You can reach the show by text at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my text number. Gary's text number is very similar. 772-260-6220. 260-6220 is the number. You can text us anytime during the week. We'll be glad to try to respond to your questions and Maybe we can use the material on the air or spur us to other thought, and you'll have a chance to respond. You can also reach the show with, by email at justchristians, all one word, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. And we get texts and emails from time to time for which we're very grateful. In fact, we got a, a text recently that we maybe we've dealt with before this show airs. I don't know. We'll see. But it was a, in response to another show that we did. You'll have to go back. And, and anyway, we try to respond to those. Whether we can respond to them right then and there is just a matter of logistics and doing the show. But we're glad you're here. And we've got a couple things we want to you know, do today. And uh, we're not trying to do, do this subject so that you can't comment on it. We just thought since it's kind of a big subject... We thought we'd do this show. If you want to comment or disagree or whatever, feel free to do that. We're not doing it in a setting so you, that you can't respond because we want to stifle any disagreement. You'll, we'd be glad to hear from you about this subject. We've been getting calls lately and questions, very good ones. We're very thankful for them. But they seem to involve a lot of different aspects of uh, Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism and various traditions of some other denominations. And uh, appreciate those calls and so forth, and, and yet I think that they deserve a bigger answer, a different, a more broader response, perhaps, than we've given them, as to what our general position is on tradition, because of, we're going to feel the same way about whatever they may be, and you need to understand what that is and why we base what what we're saying from the scriptures, what our basis for objecting to these human traditions is. Now, some of this material, if you've been listening to the show, we've already gone over some of these things a few times, and I kind of apologize for that. On the other hand, it's very important and necessary. Other others, uh, things we're going to talk about might be new to you. We do want to talk about, for example, one specific aspect of tradition, and that's uh, the Roman Catholic priesthood and how this, some of this teaching relates to the idea of the priesthood. 
a little bit later. But that sets up the general con question about uh, what's the relationship between uh, the Bible and tr traditions and what are different kinds of traditions that people have. In the New Testament, now, now Gary and I are not against tradition definitionally per se because you can go and find several Bible passages that talk about keeping th their traditions. Paul says to keep for the Thessalonians to keep their traditions which he gave them. That's things that Paul taught them, not a magisterium or the Pope or somebody, things that Paul taught them. Because the word tradition in the Greek, from the original Greek word, literally means a handing down. So it's something that was handed down. Now originally, since the New Testament books were, were written to one or two groups of people, like Thessalonians or Colossians or whatever, and then passed around to the other churches, Copies were made, and they were passed around, and then eventually they were all collected together into what we now know of as the Bible. A lot of these things had to be passed down, sometimes verbally, because not everybody could even read. They were passed along to each other, and they were passed from one church to another. So Paul tells them to obey the things that you heard and you saw and so forth in him. They were supposed to listen to what Paul said. He was going around to churches teaching. Peter was doing the same thing. They had to listen to what he said. And then they pass that on to the and, other Christians right. there or those that they taught. And from time to time, he even, <coughs> excuse me, he even chastised them. Take the first chapter of the book of Galatians. He's very clear about what they were doing, drifting away from the things. From that the he, things that are already established. He, did, he yeah. said, don't let, they don't even let an angel <coughs> teach you something different than what I've taught. Now, that, that, that's a good point, Gary, because that brings up the issue. The issue is not tradition per se, but it's, non-apostolic tradition, tradition that comes in after the scriptures were written, yes. man-made tradition or human tradition. Because Paul said he had already taught them. He already taught them, and they weren't, to, they weren't to change anything about it. He said, if anybody brings you any different teaching than what I've already delivered to you, let him be accursed. Now, we're going to come back to that, if I can remember to do so a little bit later in the show, Gary, and you can help me remember it, because well, it's not in my notes, to talk about the idea of the doctrine of development, which we've talked about before. Well, going back Go to ahead. that in many, any way, many ways, I, I think, Mike, there are two scriptures that probably would give our listeners a good basis for where we are coming from. And, of course, one of those is John twelve forty eight, which you've heard on this show from me many times, that Jesus says basically the things that are going to judge you in the last day is the word that he has spoken. And where do we find that word? It's written down for us. The The other one is um, one that you've pointed out several times, Mike, and that's in Ephesians 3 and 4. And he says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you... Oh, excuse me, wrong passage. I bring the right... For we are not writing... Uh, why is it not coming up right? Oh, now I've got it. Um, basically, he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, there's that point, mm -hmm. by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. These things were written that we would understand them. Right. You don't have to have some special knowledge or position to explain scriptures or to understand scriptures. Basically, the scripture says in a couple of places, when you read it, you can understand it. The other one that I got confused, Mike, was 2 Corinthians 1.13. He uses much the same language, but it's not as clear. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, 
I'm writing to you that when you read, you may understand. So don't let anybody tell you that you can't understand the Scripture. That's our... that. Mike, I believe that's where we're coming from. You can understand the scripture mm -hmm. when you read exactly. it. And that's what we're wanting you to do. We're wanting you to read Jesus' words and understand the scripture. All we're doing is trying to point them out. I think, I think it's a good idea that we make that clear. And, and that's, a, uh, that's an important distinction to understand. Now, I have a, uh, and I tried to put my hands on it this afternoon I just saw it the other day. Even my wife looked, and she can find anything. She'll walk right up when I'm looking for something. And so, oh, is that what you're looking for? And I'm, I'm looking right at it. You know, that's that's so how most husbands are. All, all, and, all women must be that way. Yes, but in any event, she looked and couldn't. We could, couldn't put my hands on it. But I have probably five or six Catholic catechisms in my library, among other things. I had them. In a, they're in a, in a special suitcase type thing as I was doing something with them here a while back and have catechisms from all the different various Christian denominations that talk about what those various churches teach. The Catholic catechism is very clear, in the, and it usually comes in question and answer form, very clear about this idea as to whether the Catholic Church, for example, believes in the sufficiency of Scripture in faith and practice. Now, we, Gary and I, believe that the New Testament teaches that the scripture alone is sufficient. And we read those verses a couple weeks ago that the, whole, the scriptures themselves furnish the believers to every good work that the man of God may be complete, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, furnished completely unto every good work. So we believe the scriptures among, and there's just one verse of many, are sufficient without the addition of anything else. But the Catholic Church is very, very uh, straightforward about that teaching that it takes more than the scriptures to have a complete knowledge of what is of what God wants us to do. And the it'll it'll say that for example in there, are the scriptures alone sufficient to guide us in faith and practice? The answer in bold letters is no. It takes both the Bible and tradition. Now they've already defined tradition with a capital T in their writings to mean Doctrines handed down by the magisterium, which is the Pope and the underlings from the Pope over the centuries, reflected in oftentimes the councils and so forth. All the ordained the, the teachers. Ordained teachers. teachers. This is what was handed down after the New Testament times, after the Bible was finished. This teaching was handed down over centuries. This teaching is equally sufficient, equally as important as the teaching of the apostles, okay? And so we need to be very sure, we need to understand that it isn't just me making some kind of an accusation against the church or against the Catholic church that they don't believe that the Bible is the inspired word by itself and you don't need anything else. They explicitly repudiate the idea that the Bible is sufficient to guide us, that we need something else besides that and that is tradition so for example many of the questions you hear asked on our show deal with various traditions we can understand we can understand the meanings of, and by themselves they may seem to be harmless but i don't believe anything is harmless that is put in the place of the word of god or elevated to the position of the word of god when it isn't in the scriptures or even hinted at in the scriptures that's the problem and so we 
Gary and I reject those human traditions as being authoritative. Now, the Catholic Church, in their analysis, says some traditions are good traditions and should be followed, but they're not mandatory, like the saying of the rosary, for example. You can say it or not say it. You should say it, but you can say it or not say it. But there's other traditions that have been given, like veneration of Mary, veneration of the saints, and those kind of things, acceptance of the papacy, and all those things which are traditions which must be accepted, or else, you know, you're just not really a, just not really a Catholic. Now, the way that they do this, Gary, is they talk about, you look like you want to say something. Well, I keep coming back to 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. A reference back to Scripture again. Don't go beyond it. So if you start adding to things, if you say, you've got to do this, and then I would ask, well, where do you find that in the Scripture? Would, would that be a normal question to ask for someone who's telling you this is what God wants you to do? Right. And it's not just the Catholic Church that does that, but that's maybe for another discussion. Well, you know, uh, w- one of the claims that's made by modern-day Catholics... <coughs> I'm sorry if I, di- no, if I sidetracked you. No, you didn't. You. I'm just trying to think about what you're... I'm just thinking about what you're saying there and relating it to what I'm going to say here, but... One of the things that claims it's made by modern-day Catholic apologists is that what we're seeing here, what we've seen in the history of the church, is the doctrine of development. They'll say, for example, they give the, one of them gives the illustration of an oak tree. Here an oak tree is a big, mighty tree, and yet it came out of a fragile little acorn that cracked open in the ground, and, and so the essence of the acorn is the same as the mighty oak that grows later, and so this is the, the parallel between the Catholic, the New Testament teachings about the church, which are like an acorn or an embryo, versus what the Catholic Church now is, a huge organization with myriads of doctrines not found at all in the scriptures, that this is the mighty oak that was really intended all along by the tiny acorn. This is their analogy. Now, of course, once you make that analogy, let's, say, let's, let's apply this to the papacy since even they admit that the Pope was not there in the New Testament, okay? A papacy, a Pope, especially with the bishops and the elections of the Popes and infallible authority and all that was not present in the beginning. Even any fair Catholic scholar would admit that. That just tells you up front that there's telling you, admitting without knowing it, that the, Catholic, that the papacy is not in the Bible. It's not in, it's not in the acorn. It's got to come along later. So don't tell me, which but they go on to say that Catholics, the Catholics are taught that whatever the Catholic Church is now teaching presently has ever always been taught and practiced by the church, has always and ever been practiced by the church. Yes, but Mike. And that, you, is, that is factually com- incorrect well, and a deception. Even, even in my lifetime, I've seen changes exactly. just in the eating meats on Fridays. Well, yes, and, and they might dismiss them. But even the, even the, the worship of the, the Immaculate Conception of Mary and the, um, uh, the bodily assumption of Mary, the infallibility of the Pope was not established until the 1800s, and it was a divided council that established that. So how is it that you're saying that the doctrine of the infallibility of the Pope 
has always and ever been taught by the Holy Roman Catholic Church. It's simply a factual error, or at least the, the minimum thing you can call it is an error. I think that's being too nice about it in this case. So the question is, does the doctrine of development, is, it, is the doctrine of development found in the Scripture? Is there even an embryo or an acorn of the teaching of the doctrine of development that, that you have this? Well, according to what I can read in the New Testament, Gary, and we've been over this before, I don't think it's there at all. I think that you're warned repeatedly by uh, apostolic writers, by Paul and Peter and all the other ones, about this very thing taking place. We've been over these verses before, but in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, a beginning, well, you can see the whole chapter is that uh, Paul was traveling here in Acts chapter 20, and he comes to the coastline of what we now call Turkey to a port city called Miletus, and Ephesus, where he had taught and been for a while, was right up the coast from there, right, right inland from there. Ephesus used to be on the coast. Now Miletus is on the coast. So he, it says he sent to Ephesus and called the, the elders to come to Miletus to meet him. And when he got the elders there of the church, he war warned them that I didn't keep anything back from you. I've taught you in, in to Acts chapter 20, verse 20. I kept nothing back from you that was helpful. I taught you publicly from house to house. And he says, that I want you to know that uh, you're not going to see me anymore. But he says, I'm, I'm telling you something. I've not, verse 27, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I've told you the whole counsel of God, these elders here. He goes on to say, verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. For from among your own selves, from among the eldership, will men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Remember and watch, for I declare to you, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. And so he commends them to, the, to, to God and to the word of his grace, he says. And he closes his speech. Does this sound like Paul was telling these elders, you just go on about your business. The Holy Spirit is going to keep revealing new things to you all along. And over the centuries, you're going to really see this acorn blossom into a great and mighty oak called the Catholic Church. Is that what he's telling these elders here? He's telling them exactly the opposite of that, that what I told you is the truth. I've told you the whole truth. Don't let anybody come in later and tell you and teach something different than what I've taught you because he calls those people wolves who are leading them astray from the truth by, quote-unquote, developing his doctrine. That's my take on the verse. What do you think here? That's the basically and and Mike I see that even in John 12:48 there's a permanency about that. He said the words that I have spoken. He didn't right. say he was going to change right. anything nor did he imply he was going to add anything. Now in one passage right. he tells them basically the Holy Spirit's going to bring to your remembrance things that I've said and maybe address subjects that I didn't. But he's not going to change what he already has said. Paul and that's also, at least where I right. see it. And one of Paul's later letters, he even says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit says expressly, verse 1, 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit says expressly that in later times 
or latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's the word apostasy in Greek. Mm -hmm. They will apostatize, depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those that know and love the truth. So he's telling them there's going to people can be come along and tell you that you can't marry certain th times, you can't eat certain foods, and so forth. He says these are not teachings of the New Testament. So here were changes in doctrine that were coming that the Spirit told Paul about. And he warned these people not to follow those deceiving spirits, those deceiving teachers. Well, because you he said they're falling, going to be falling away from the truth. truth. Not a development, but a falling away. And and you mentioned earlier, we, we talked about the first chapter of Galatians. Now might be a good time to go back yeah, and touch you, on you that again. You got it funny because I'm looking, getting ready to look it up here. I okay, right I've got it here, I think. Galatians 1. And about verses 8 and 9, I'm sure is what you're talking about. Yes. He says... Um, well, look, start with verse 6, Gary, because okay. I, I think that one will help you get the context. Yeah, that, that sets a context. I marvel that you are so that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who troubled you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, there's, there's the basis, turning away. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, it is another if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I mean, I don't know how much plainer you get, Mike. He's telling him very clearly, don't change what I've written. And, and These things were intended to be, the teachings of the New Testament were intended to be passed down from, at, from God to the people unchanged. And each generation is going to have to look at those and decide based on that what they need to do within the context of their culture about how to obey that passage, those scriptures, not to alter it, not to change it, and not to especially let councils and men change those teachings and then call it development. That, that's this, this very disturbing. I, I guess you can tell it upsets me because it's a disturbing idea is put forward, and it's a way of making something which is not good sound palatable and we should be aware and I, I just think that there are a lot of people Gary who are members for example or grew up as Roman Catholics who from what I know about them and experience them even in my own family who, who love God who, who respect the Bible but they've been taught a lot of things about the Bible that aren't correct and what they've been taught and I got the sources in front of me here I don't know if I want to go and read them all because when I begin to read, when I begin to read from Catholic sources, it, it, it sounds to people who are listening like we're attacking someone. But I, I, if a person's going to take the authority upon themselves to write, put it on the internet, or write books about it, then I, I guess they, I guess they've opened themselves up to criticism, possible criticism by doing that. But we're not here to attack people. The point I'm making is a lot of sincere Roman Catholics are just following what they've been told to believe or thought that they should believe, and they've never been able to. They've even been told that, well, I wonder if I can find it right here in front of me. I had it right in front of me a few minutes ago, and I probably don't have it anymore. Well, well, while you're what looking. they've been told is that they're not even so. 
that the only way they should read the Bible. Well, we had a call here a few weeks ago that Catholics were allowed to read the Bible. Well, yeah, you go look that up, and what you see is the Catholic Church says, yes, you can read the Bible as long as being directed by a Roman Catholic priest. As long as you're being directed by the church, you can read the Bible. But if you read the, but you're not supposed to read the Bible by yourself because you'll go astray. You can only read the Bible under the direction of the church, meaning to a, pri a priest or the authorities of the church. Which is not what Paul said in the Ephesian letter that we, we quoted earlier about when he writes to you that you may understand. Um, I, I keep the Catholic Church is not the only one that does this, Mike. Uh, I, I've I've talked to people, and and I think you have too. Well, an angel told me that this is right, or I I was told this was right in in some kind of experience. And Paul is very clearly saying that what he's teaching and what he's written to them is not going to change, right. and should not change. And he goes on in verse ten of that passage, for I do not. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here's where it comes from. It comes from wishing the praise of men as opposed to the praise of God. When men start to teach this. Jesus said this to the scribes and Pharisees. When you start wanting to please men with the way you interpret or the way you look at these things, other than just straight, plain, and simple interpretation, which is what we've talked about many times, you're trying to please someone, right. probably yourself. Right. Be careful about that. Yes, that's, that is a problem. <coughs> now, now, you see, the, the objection that, so the objection that a person should have, or the main, the main question you have to answer it, with respects to Roman, respect to Roman Catholicism is, does the Pope and the Magisterium hold the same authority over me as Jesus Christ through the Scriptures? If you if you come to the conclusion that the Pope and their and their or in as I'm using him as a proxy for the whole Magisterium of the Holy See and the bishops and all that the councils, if you come to the conclusion that the Magisterium has the same authority as Scripture then you, you need to follow what the Catholic Church teaches because that's, that's where it's going to lead you. That's how you're going to be led by that. They, they certainly, uh, you, you, have to, you have to follow them at that regard, at that place because if they do have the authority of Scripture, if tradition and Scripture have equal authority, then you need to follow the tradition. And you know, it's interesting when you see that because tradition then always takes precedence over Scripture. But if you don't, if you look at the, these Bible, script, Bible verses we've given and a few others and conclude that, no, I don't think the Pope has the authority of Scripture. I think Popes have been mistaken in, in error many times. They've contradicted each other. The instances of where Catholic councils and supposed popes have contradicted each other e even in our lifetime Gary much less going back in history it's incredible and yet they still insist that they're teaching the same things as the New Testament church and their teaching has never changed and they're always the ever true church if you conclude that though that the magisterium and the popes and so forth do not have the authority of the same authority as the scripture then you need to forsake the Catholic church you need to follow Jesus Christ 
and be just a Christian. And, and that's as simple as I can make it. We don't have to quibble about every little doctrine about this or that, whatever the Catholic Church teaches. Because most of the things that I'm going to, well, I'll put it this way. Everything that I object to in the Catholic Church is found in tradition or in a faulty interpretation of a scripture. If, it's, if what the Catholic Church teaches is found in the scripture, do you and I disagree with it? No. Because it's in the scripture. We, can, we agree with that. So the things we're going to object to are things that are not found in scripture. And that's why, in a very this broad way, that what we teach about being just a Christian on this show, we don't, maybe don't emphasize this enough. It, it may sound to you like a, a disharmonious or divisive kind of teaching. It isn't at all, really, fundamentally. We're trying to get people to come together and agree on things that they can agree on, which is the, what the Scriptures say. We can agree if we're going to take it plain and simply on a plain reading of Scripture. We should be able to agree on that. We can't. We will never be able to agree on human tradition and human opinions. We'll never be able to agree on that. So if there will be any unity in Christ, people of different denominations have to give up all their creeds and denominations and doctrines based on their histories, their teaching, and all their traditions and agree to follow only the Bible in what they say and what they do. Then we can have unity. Otherwise, well, it's impossible to well, have Well, this, this may sidetrack you for a minute, Mike. I'm already sidetracked, so go right ahead. Um, but I would, ask, I would ask anyone who is looking at this, do you believe that one day at, at the day of judgment you are going to stand before God and give account for the things that you've done? What does the Scripture say? We're, we're going to have to give account for the deeds done in the flesh, and I don't remember where exactly that passage is. But you as an individual... Corinthians 5, we're going to yeah. all give account... For the deeds, deeds done, done in the flesh. Good or evil. Yes. yes, so we're going to stand before God. God says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. So the day and the point in time in your life and existence is going to come to the point where God's going to ask you to give account for everything you did. Now, are, are you going to be able to say to God, well, he told me to do that? Who's yeah. going to be responsible in that day? You're going to be, you're going to you are. Yourself. So when Jesus says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Let, you, let me, let, are you yes. willing to pass that responsibility off on someone else? Right. And, and maybe that's what you want to do. I don't know. Right. That's something to think that about. Is some, that's a lot to think about. You know, here's a, this is from a Catholic website, maryourhelp.org. <laughs> It's a simple. It's a simple question answer. A catechism answer. And I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth about this. So the first question on this one little section of this catechism on Mary, our help, a Catholic website. What is the Bible? The Bible is a collection of books that relate to God's revel, relate God's revelation uh, to the human race. It's, it is the inspired word of God written by men and comprises the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, I'd say it's written by God with the help of men or by men's agency. So, so where do we get the Bible? Here we go. We're off and running. <laughs> we have the Bible by the authority of the early councils of the Catholic Church, which decided which writings were truly inspired by God. That is a completely historically debatable subject that very few people agree on, that the Catholic Church 
the one unchanging, true, never taught anything different Catholic Church we had today produced the Bible by these early councils. You can't know much history and say that, okay? Therefore, the Bible may rightly be said to be a Catholic book. So the, the first thing they're teaching you Catholics is the Bible is fine. It's a Catholic book. So the Catholic Church has final say over what's in the book, and the Catholic Church has final say over how you should read the book and what you should do with the book. Since we wrote it, we can decide what you should believe about it, what it says, and what you should do about it. Now, I'm, being, I'm putting words in his mouth, but not many <laughs> words there. Listen to what else it says. When there is dispute over what the Bible means to teach us about the some manner of faith or morals, how do we know the right meaning? How do you know the right meaning of a Bible passage? Only the teaching authority of the Catholic Church can know what is true in faith and morals because Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth to the church. So they, they read the passages about the apostles receiving the truth and substitute the word Catholic Church in there for it. So the only way we can know what's right, even when we read the Bible, is if the Catholic Church tells us what the Bible means. Uh, what's the teaching authority of the Catholic Church called? It's called the magisterium. What is sacred tradition? Sacred tradition is the oral, unwritten message that Jesus gave the apostles. Some of it was written down and is found in apostolic documents that are not part of the Bible. Okay, so some of what Jesus, when, when the Bible, and they other, another one more detailed one says, when God says, for example, Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe. They take that to mean, oh, that's talking about all the other stuff that these other guys wrote, and we keep that just like we do the Bible. The whole point of what John says in John 20 is, this is what you should believe because this is what the Holy Spirit selected for you to believe, right? Right. And there's some other, another patch at the end of John about all the books that could be written. They say, well, that's a reference to this tradition of the Catholic Church. Well, Completely if, if, uh, debatable, if, oh, oh, uh, assuming the fact is to be proven. Well, if they wrote the Bible, Galatians 1, verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Yes, there you go. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, now that, that goes to the next question in this little catechism right here, Gary. In what degree must we accept the Bible? In what degree must we accept tradition? One must accept the Bible and tradition completely and equally because both are revealed by God. So he, they're very plain. It's a very simple catechism that the Bible and the t traditional teaching of the Catholic Church must be accepted equally, and you must accept them completely in order to be saved. So, so this is an interesting... <laughs> there's more here. I'm not going to go into it. Because, well, like I say, when I do, people, well, you're, you're picking on people. They, they wrote these things. They put them... It's still on the Internet, written not that many years ago, for you to read and understand. It's meant to teach people by what... So logic do you get that we can't say, well, can't challenge that and say this is incorrect? Well, basically what you just quoted is a philosophy, not a command from God. Look, this, re this religion, the Roman Catholic Church, is a religion based upon men. It's based upon the personal personalities, the persons in the magisterium. The magisterium is a group of men, always has been. They can call it a council if they want, but a council is a group of men. 
and they met, and they took votes, and they decided, they argued, they decided, there was political intrigue, then they decided something, and then we're supposed to take that as the Word of God as such. Without the, now, you can throw in, if you want to, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit says, accept what the apostles wrote, and only what the apostles wrote. Don't change it, don't develop it, don't fall away from it. That's what the Holy Spirit wrote. And the Spirit says expressly, clearly, he says, that men would do exactly what these councils did. That's the point I'm making. The Spirit predicted through Paul in 1 Timothy 4 that human councils would get together, made up of these bishops and elders, and they would, change, they would add to what God said, and they would change what he wrote and fall away from the faith. Now, that's what I believe history shows us, not the doctrine of development. And so the, it's very clear, even these simple catechisms, and I'm not making a slander upon the Catholic Church when I tell Roman Catholics, like we did a few weeks ago on the air here, that the Catholic Church teaches that you don't need the Bible any more than you need tradition. If you're going to learn one, you've got to learn the other because they're both equally important. And one comes from men, one comes from God. That's a very bad position to be in, if you ask me, in yep. the Judgment Day, to do one or the other. When you're going to have to explain. Especially when, it, the, when these distinctive doctrines of the Catholic Church, which even got to are the one of the things I want to talk about, the, the uh, priesthood, when they come out of tradition. They don't, the distinctive doctrines of the Catholic Church, for the, a large, to a large degree, maybe a majority degree, come out of human tradition, not out of the Scripture. Like all the teaching they do about Mary being the mediator and the, the mother of God, mediatrix and all that, and honoring Mary and all the prayers to Mary and all the other, all their teaching about indulgences and venial sins and, and purgatory, none of those things come out of the Bible. They all come out of tradition, though. And so they've made all those things is the central part the, 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 the priesthood, the earthly priesthood with the mitres and the caps and the incense and the offering up of the mass and all that, did that come out of the Bible? No. I don't think you'd find a reliable Catholic scholar would tell you it came out of the Bible because they have, they have too much integrity if they're a scholar to tell you something like that. It came out of traditional councils centuries after the Bible was written. So the main distinctive features of the Catholic Church came out of human tradition. Uh, and you can say the same thing about most of these major Christian denominations today. Their distinctive oh. teachings come not from the Bible itself, but from their councils and their synods and their meetings that distinguish the one, one from the other, not from the text of the Scripture itself. So and, and that's a broad that's charge, my, and I'd be glad point, to defend it on the air. But. That would be my point about, you know, everybody saying we're attacking the Catholic Church. I'm... I'm not attacking the Catholic Church. I'm attacking things that do not come from the Bible. Yes, and what I want people to understand, so that when someone calls up and says, well, what about this or what about that? Uh, you say, well, you always give the same answer. I, I, know, I, I know we do. We kind of give the same answer to some of those things because we, we can explain what they are if, as best we know, what, a, what the Lutheran Church believes about this or Catholic Church believes about that or some other denomination. But, but the, the problem with all of it is that, it, that it's not based upon a fundamental belief in the primacy of Scripture and Scripture alone. A plain and simple plain reading. And simple. Now, now, although we disagree about the application of this, I, I certainly am in agreement, with, I believe, with Martin Luther, who made the phrase sola scriptura the keystone of his reforms, you know, because the sola meaning Scripture alone. Right. Now, he was 
making an attempt to go back. Even the Roman Catholic priest, Martin Luther, who lived and died a Roman Catholic, saw that the Roman Catholic Church had veered completely off track with regard to Scripture and their traditions. And that's why he nailed his 95 theses on the wall, because they were all about Catholic traditions that were not found in Scripture. And he challenged them to, to defend those with Scripture. And he came away from all that controversy with the phrase sola scriptura, faith, uh, uh, Scripture alone as and a I, and fundamental I, basis of faith. I don't know how long those practices had been in place, but it's kind of like what we try to do with the Constitution. So you, you need to go back to when the Constitution was written and what was applied to it. <laughs> yes. And, I, and, 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 and they couldn't do that. Now, now Gary, oh, oh, as a young man, I wrestled a long time with some of these various things and, and politically and religiously, and it became clear to me that I can't take one position religiously about a written document and another position politically about, about a, a written document documents. and be consistent mentally, can't emotionally and mentally be consistent. That's why in both respects, I believe in a faithful and direct interpretation, an originalist kind of interpretation of the text of the New mm -hmm. Testament, although you and I may vary in our under understanding. I still defend that principle. Well, Not every aspect that you and I could talk about. And the same thing is true about, for example, the Constitution. Right. I believe that it forms, even though it's written by men, it isn't divine, but it contains ideas that are founded upon, based upon the Scriptures in many cases. But we, if we're going to keep it, we ought to look at it, how it was originally written, what it was meant to say, and interpret it from that basis. Or if and if we're going to change it, then change it. Or if we pledge to keep it, what are we supposed to do? We keep our word. We what does God say? Do what comes out of your mouth. He's All through the Scripture, the importance of keeping your word is emphasized over and over again. Now, now I'll give you another clear distinction between the Constitution and the Bible which is right pertinent to our discussion. Because man wrote it. For well, one thing is where the source of it. Secondly, the Constitution gives a very clear and precise procedure for altering it. Knowing that men yeah. wrote it, the founders didn't conceive of it as being a divine document, and they thought that it might need to be altered in the future. And so they provided a way for it to be altered by a convention of men and councils and synods, as it were, or legislatures, to alter it. So where's the now authority? In the Bible, where, where's the authority to alter it? Yeah, it's in it, it within itself. It gives authority to alter it. The Bible expressly forbids anybody altering, altering it. it. As I read you those verses already, forbids you from changing it. But that's a clear distinction between the two documents, and and the idea that we can come along centuries later and take what God wrote, and then uh, redefine it by councils and synods of men and come up with something different and call it a mighty oak tree it is preposterous from the standpoint of what the original document says. So that's where, so when Gary and I answer questions, now you can agree or disagree with this, of course, we're, we're not trying to make you do something on the air here, but we are telling you what our position is and we think we should, we can defend it and we would like to discuss it more with you, but this is a crucial matter in Christianity. When people say, well, no, you don't need the Bible, you just need Christ. Well, that sounds religious, but tell me what you tell me what it is you know about Christ or Jesus and where does without it come, the Bible. Where does it come from? Yeah, tell me what you can know about Christ and Jesus without the Bible. So yes, Jesus is central; his sacrifice is central. 
but I would know nothing about that and wouldn't even know it existed or what I should do about it without the Scripture. So if I'm willing to uh, allow a pollution or an altering of the Scripture, which teaches me about Christ and how to be saved, then I put my very salvation in danger. So your attitude about the Bible is close to and, and really mirrors your attitude about Jesus Christ. If, he truly, if you truly do, do believe He is the Savior of the world, and grace and his his grace and mercy are central then you must be ha, have a desire to protect the integrity of the scriptures because in them you know about him he says you read of me in these in these books so you, you ha, these two things go together you see they're integrally tied together and if you have a disrespect for the bible i guarantee you in the long run you'll have a disrespect for christ's word because that's where you find his word is in the bible Yes. Not coming out of your own heart or your own imagination. That's the dangerous part. Well, John twelve forty eight, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. What's the change to that? That I go back to the very beginning when I said that that very language implies to me personally that this is not going to change because he's not here to change it. Right. He's not giving us any way to change it. He's not giving us any information. Paul says if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what he's already preached. Basically, and then he goes and says, I didn't get it from man. Where did I get it? What Paul wrote was Jesus' words because Jesus gave them to him. Right. I, I can't put it any other way. And, and they, the, it ended with him. Now, if you go read the uh, some Catholic writing about that, they will say that the apostles told Paul to go and appoint, well, now read the translation. The, the quotation by the Catholics called I read today was that, that he said that I left you in Crete that you might appoint priests in every city. I might have it right here in front of me. I don't know. I probably do. Uh, that that's what the Catholic Church teaches, that uh, uh, they should be appointing priests in every city. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Um, here it is. This is from, a Catholic, from, from Catholicism.org. This is from the website, Catholicism.org, the articles on the, the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church. And here's it says, The Bible teaches that the apostles actually appointed lawful assistants and successors to carry on their work. So they say the Bible said the apostles appointed assistants and successors to carry on their work. Titus 1.5, the first passage they quote, Titus 1.5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things which are wanting, and thou shouldest ordain priests in every city, as I also appointed thee. Huh. Priests well, in well, every city. My the, translation says elders. Elders. The Greek word there in every manuscript that I have ever heard of is presbyteros, or elders. There's a different Greek word for priests used in the New Testament, hierus, which means sacred ones. But they changed the text of the that they're quoting, so you ordinary Catholics can read it. You ordinary Catholics who want to go check out Catholicism.org, you'll read a complete mistranslation of the text of the Bible right there on the first page of that document that they make it priests instead of elders in every city, and that's just a that's just a, and they can, they can do that because they told you in the other documents that they're the fi, they're the final arbiter of how to interpret the Bible. So they would claim they have authority to do that, but they say that these are successors of the Roman of the 
apostles, when in fact he warns those elders not to change anything that was written. He doesn't give them this. They imply that successors get to decide new changes and, and how to alter and interpret and grow this law. That's not, what this, that's not what these elders were supposed to do. Paul warned the elders he appointed not what? to alter anything that he wrote, right? And we read right. the verses already. Here, they're implying by saying that they're successors that they're going to have the power then later on to make alterations and bring in the worship of Mary and bring in this and that tradition uh, and, all the and way there are not, the line. And when you look at how they're supposed to, what their qualifications are and what they are, that is basically there are no multi-levels. This, this hierarchy or pyramid as they've got is simply not there. Right, right. So... You know, and you can and you can go you can go look up the article and you can read some of this this kind of thing and you can read it. But there's simply no there's no biblical justification for a tradition, for example, like a uh, a pope, a new te- a pope, a new te- a new testament kind of priesthood and all those kind of things. Now, the interesting thing about this, Gary, I thought we were going to go into how parallel how parallel this is to the Old Testament priesthood. We should do that, I suppose. I want to, I can't. I don't have this quote in front of me. It's right here. I can find it if I look for a minute. But the the, the Methodist discipline, for uh, some other denominations, take this same approach. That they they leave it open to future generations to interpret what really should be done, and they do that by saying that the Holy Spirit is leading these councils and these men to their decisions. The Methodist discipline, for example, says clearly in the first page of the old, old one I've got that the Holy Spirit was behind the production of this book, the Methodist discipline, and how to run a Methodist churches. And that so, means so that that's continuing revelation. That's continuing revelation. And, and so whenever you're involved in a denomination that believes in continuing revelation, you have this basic problem that men are going to say that they receive word from God to make these changes, to alter what the text of the Bible says or to add to it or take away from it by their continuing revelation. It's a fundamental problem in religion. And that's why I guess we are kind of dinosaurs, Gary. We believe don't try to make those changes. Don't add to them. Find out how you can make it make it work and fit within what's already there. Now, you say something about that. What were you saying we should, said we were going to do? I, uh, I just at least here. touch upon how the uh, hierarchy of the Catholic Church in terms of Priest, bishops, and what whatever well, there's a, there's are kind of parallel to what go, what went on in the Jewish, uh, basically, law of Moses. Yeah, they, they don't find the priesthood that you see in the Roman Catholic Church, um, and even the bishops, cardinals, and all that kind of thing. Their historians will tell you that that's based on the structure of the Roman Empire in the 800s or 400s to 800s, early Roman Empire where uh, toward the end of the empire where they had the different hierarchies of offices. And some of these terms like bishops and so forth are even taken from the Roman authorities and the other names that they have. The offices that they have have are taken from these secular government names, not from the, that's why you don't find them in the scriptures. Even this word bishop is an odd translation. I know it's in the King James, but it's an odd translation because uh, it, the word there is an overseer, not not so much a special officer with a pointy hat, you know. But the point I'm making is that the only offices the New Testament church should have are what the New Testament outlines. 
no more, no less. New Testament mentions in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that he writes a letter to the church at Philippi with its bishops and deacons. So there are bishops, deacons, and we find from other scriptures, which the show is too short today to talk about, that elders, bishops, and deacons, three words, are describing the same office in the New Testament. It's very clearly clear and easy to see, and historians will agree that in early church, there was only one office in the early church described by the words bishop, elder, or, or I think I said deacon, I meant wrong, a bishop, elder, or pastor. Made a mistake there. Sorry, I shot. Bishops, I... elders, or pastor. I knew something was wrong when I said it. Uh, but we, ha- but then we have another office called deacons or servants that's mentioned also as subordinate to the elders. Beyond that, there's no offices above that. In fact, when Peter, the apostle Peter, is writing in First Peter chapter five, he says, "Fellow he, elder." He calls himself a fellow elder with the other elders, not an archbishop or a bishop or a pope, but a fellow elder. And he says that Christ is the arch shepherd, arche. He says so, the chief shepherd is coming to judge, right? And, and, and that's Christ. So the only arch anything in the New Testament is Jesus himself. And he's arch over all the other people, including Peter, who's just, a, just an elder and an apostle in the church. So there's no hierarchy, nothing like that. And there certainly is no hint then of a, of a priesthood that's patterned after the priesthood of the Old Testament. There's no hint of that kind of thing. In fact, the only, if you do a search of the word priests in your lexicon, you'll find that when you, lots of uses in the Old Testament, the word there is uh, Cohen. You know anybody mm-hmm. named Cohen? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're named, their name means priest. That's just what that <laughs> word means in Hebrew. And all the usages of the word priest in the Old Testament are this word Cohen or Cohen or however you say it. I'm using the way we say it in English. Now, when you come to the New Testament, it's hieros. It's used, it's a Greek word, it means priest. And when you look at the Gospels all the way through the book of Acts, where you're dealing with the church in Jerusalem and the priesthood was still intact, historically intact, you see that it uses this word, it's referring to the priest after the order of Aaron. Then when you come then later in the New Testament, it's only used a few other times in the New Testament, and you see it referring there to all believers, the priesthood of all believers, like in 1 Peter Two nine, yes, two and you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right, right. and he says there's only one mediator between God and man, man. himself, man, Jesus Christ. First Timothy two, five, and yet the Catholic Church teaches that the priests of in the in their Catholic parishes are mediator between God. You've got to go to them to receive the grace from Christ. You've got to go to them to, to uh, receive forgiveness and communion. You've got to go to them because they mediate and so forth. The Bible also pictures Christians in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 with offering sacrifices to God of praise, not of animals. That's all Christians. And so yes, there's a priest in the New Testament under Christ's rule, but it's not the priesthood of the Catholic Church nor is it the priesthood of the Old Testament. It's the priesthood of all believers and the only... You know, you know and when Christ died, Gary, the, the separations of the Old Testament, that veil that separated God from man, and especially God from the common man, was torn in two. two. It was opened up. 
Christ becomes the holy priest that we can go to, the high priest. He's pictured in the New Testament. The only other times outside of the uh, Matthew through Acts you find this, you find the word priest also in reference to Christ as the high priest. He's the high priest who offers sacrifices for us. We take our prayers and our petitions directly to this high priest, you see. And rather than there being an intermediary organization. So you find none of this priesthood in the New Testament. So It's the people and Christ. When, yes, and when you and come up it. then with, with uh, understanding about what, what should these priests be wearing, should I genuflect or bow, or what should I do? I have no, I have no Bible answer to give you. It makes me sound ignorant. You sound ignorant. But we have no Bible answer to give you about how you should kneel before a priest or which ring to kiss and when and all that because there just isn't anything there for us to go on in that regard in the Bible. There's nothing there. And so we can't give you that. We can tell you that because of Christ's sacrifice, if you're a Christian, he's opened up the new and living way and you can go directly to him and call him Abba, Father, through Christ the priest, here high priest. He's a better high priest than the old ones, and yet we want to go back to these other situations. Anyway, um, that, that's, that's part of the problem we have in denominationalism. And so we're just using some of these teachings of the Catholic Church uh, as a teaching mechanism here, not as an attack upon Roman Catholics at all, uh, but upon a religious system which doesn't find anything anything to, to justify it in the scriptures. Now you can go on the website. You'll read pretty vigorous defenses of Roman Catholicism on the internet and in books. Yes, you always have to keep asking, asking yourself who's saying this and what what do the scriptures say about this? Well, you and, like you pointed out the change of of elder to priest in basically the scripture that they quote. Uh, gives you pause on the things that you need to look at. Yes, I, I'm I'm of the opinion, Mike, that I, when when we talk about these things, even when we talk about problems in the Protestant denominations, I don't. I try not to see myself as a personally attacking a person. Now, on an individual one-on-one, -on -one, we 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 can slide into that easily, and it's something we shouldn't do, but. What the job of an elder is, is to basically attack the teaching that is wrong. With ideas. You disagree yeah. with ideas because you can't find their place in the basis of your scripture. Yes. Well, our time is about gone today. I really appreciate you listening. I know it's been uh, you know, one-sided because all of it, doing all the talking, but be sure to drop us an email at ju justchristians at att.net or give us a Give us a text message, and we want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com, wearejustchristians.com, and we'd like to invite you to our services. We meet at, at uh, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings for Bible class for all ages, 11 o'clock for worship and communion, and 730 on Wednesday night. So until next week, may God bless you, and tune in again then.